0: hello again everyone and welcome back to another edition of behind the yellow line i'm randall sanders happy to be with you once again and happy as always to be joined by my fellow chicago area resident jeremy specter and by our denver correspondent ronan o'Shea ronan i understand you've got some snow going on out by you right now
1: we got april snow here in denver it's coming down pretty good actually uh, probably three to six inches here overnight the one thing though is it's been so hot leading into this, it's not really sticking on the ground. So it's on cars, it's on windshields, but um, what's that's not good. Your Rockies are coming home. They got a long home stand starting tomorrow. I was looking at going next week. The Astros are in town. A chance to see Dusty, a chance to boo a couple of cheaters. But as I was just telling you guys before we went on, 38 degrees expected to be the high on Tuesday. That's during the daytime. That's a night game against the Astros. So we'll see. But uh, this is normal for denver we'll get snow into may but that is surrounded by 80 degree weeks and days and normally our january february is sunny and warm so i'm fine with this it's nice actually to get a little bit of winter
0: yeah it's probably the best of both worlds for you you get to uh, watch it snow but you don't really have to worry about it sticking
1: yes the problem is huxley the dog who we've had now for three weeks he's from south texas he won't go out when it's snowing so we're looking at almost 24 hours here since he has relieved himself. And that worries me because, you know, we got a nice rug in the, in the living room here. And I hope that he doesn't get bad ideas overnight.
0: Well, we certainly hope Huxley figures that out Uh, on that topic of, you know, keeping the rug clean, Jeremy, how are you doing this evening?
2: Uh, Doing good. I I do like to keep the rug clean over here. So, uh, you know, I I think that's a good uh, segue there, Randall. Um, Not bad, you know, I'm hoping that everything is very quiet around here and then we can just keep on going.
0: All right. Well, we'll jump right in. Not a whole lot of time has elapsed since we last got together in our regular meeting of the minds. And sadly, the Cubs have not accomplished a whole lot in that time. Uh, They did, in fact, lose two out of three in the just completed Milwaukee series. The one win certainly was exciting. The two losses were lifeless, bad, unfortunate, unpleasant, whatever other adjectives you prefer. Unfortunately, yeah, they, they, they still suck. Do we have any thoughts on the Cubs beyond that since Monday?
1: I got one thing to throw out there. It was cathartic for me sitting here a thousand miles away in Denver for Wilson to get that two run home run. The guy has been hit left and right. If you go back the last couple of years, the Brewers have been almost targeting him. He gets hit every other game or so against them. So for him to hit the game winning home run, Uh, that's great, you know, but obviously a dud the next day. The Cubs are going up against one of the best pitchers in the National League. That's going to be tough. But um, you come home five and seven, long homestand, but good opponents coming in. I don't know. It's not feeling so good right now. We we said that this team needed to get off to a hot start, especially if they're going to be hanging on to everybody, and they haven't exactly done that here in the first two weeks or so of the season.
2: Yeah, that's right, uh, Ronan. And I was actually curious about Randall. Uh, how were you when Wilson hit that home run? Was that a big cheer? Was that a, uh, you were, you let out a, a primal scream? Like what was going on there? Cause that was a big bomb.
0: I, you know, I think that was probably a, a bit of a fist pump for me that, that was a monstrous home run, a vapor trail right up near Bernie's little hovel shack up there in the corner of the airplane hangar Miller and Fam ballpark,
1: right hand. Left hand or you know, double um, hand?
0: Probably, probably right-handed because that's that's my first impulse. Uh, you know, I should start recording that. Which hand? Which hand did I fist yeah. pump in victory with? We'll keep a log of that. It exactly. was a big home run. And it was a big win. And Craig Kimbrel, uh, another save. He had to come in and bail the sheriff Andrew Chafin out of a little bit of a mess, not entirely of his own making. No. The umpiring was subpar, to say the least. But a, uh, a four-out save. I believe two more strikeouts in that, I'm sorry, one more strikeout in that save. And he continues to pitch extremely well. And it's probably nice for David Ross to know that he can, when need be, depend on him for more than three outs. Chris Bryant continues adding extra base hits to his resume. Other than that, gosh, there just isn't a whole lot to be excited about right now.
2: No, you're right about that, uh, Randall. I agree Uh, to quote, uh, my good friend Homer Simpson. They kind of did look like the suckiest sucks that ever sucked out there. But uh, you know, Your damn I, the wiener kids I was, listening. Damn wiener kids are listening. But uh, who knows who's listening? But uh, you know, on what uh, I'm against Woodruff. I thought they did actually have some good at bats. They, you know, whatever wasn't really working. They made Woodruff work a lot more than they made him work when at Wrigley, where Woodruff was just cruising. And then that blast by Wilson was just epic uh, against Suter. Hap had a. A nice hit from the right side opposite to get to the Wilson. And then you mentioned against Corbin Burns. I mean, Corbin Burns has just been electric this season. It's hard to do anything against him. It's a little frustrating. I agree. I agree totally. The whole thing is frustrating. The Cubs have had a situation where they've struggled making contact in the zone, and that is. Definitely concerning. I I mean, I'm one who still thinks it's early, but it's definitely not a, a good trend to have. It's one you should keep an eye on and something they need to work on. I mean, we could go through the list of who's doing what. But, you know, coming home, as Ronan mentioned, and I agree with the hot start, and I think in May it'll be better, but this is a tough stretch with the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers coming up. These are three teams that everybody at the beginning of the year thought would be competing so to not pick up a couple wins against um, the Pirates, the Brewers at home, it's a little disappointing. Now the Braves are coming in right now at five and eight. So who knows? They're not pitching. They're necessarily their best pitchers this weekend. Uh, Freed is hurt. So we're probably gonna get Bryce Wilson on Sunday. Tomorrow we're going to get uh, Drew Smiley, who a Cubs fan should know, but hasn't really been pitching that great. And uh Inoa on Saturday, who we don't really know that much of. So, hopefully, in my, we can pull out a couple, you know, wins here this weekend, with, especially with the Mets coming in, DeGrom kind of being short, so he probably won't be until the end of the series. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the offense does need to pick up. Everything needs to pick up. It's been super frustrating.
1: It'll be nice to see Bryant back in the lineup. He was off the finale. Uh, Wilson was off the finale in Milwaukee. I don't know that it would have mattered against pitching like that, but they get two days off here. They come home sleeping in their own bed. It's just time for this thing to get going. And um, you got to have some hope that this thing's going to get turned around here and hopefully the pitching will hold up, but it's nice to get him back to Wrigley field. Randall, I had one more question from the Brewers series for you. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you when I say the name Laz Diaz
0: awful, awful at his job. It's it's uh, Zoidberg from the audience shouting your umpiring is bad and you should feel bad. I uh, he's, he's, he's just not good at his job. And the, the funniest thing to me always is when these bad umpires uh, start chirping back at the dugouts for getting on them, you should be allowed to politely within the boundaries of good taste, heckle guys like Laz Diaz, all you want without any fear of repercussions it's 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 mind-boggling the work he and some of his uh colleagues put in sometimes but we we all know mlb has no interest in fixing that far more interest in tinkering with any number of other things only so much else to be said a couple of cubs roster notes since we were last together shelby miller the veteran pitcher had an opt-out clause that would have triggered earlier this week the cubs elected to bring him up and add him to the roster characteristically, he had a rough debut. He did not record an out and gave up a number of runs. He has an ERA of infinity right now, which is never a good thing. Jason Adam, fortunately is back from the COVID list. He was put on earlier in the week. He is back already. And Albert Elzele was sent to the South Bend alternate site as part of managing his workload. He remains in the plans for the Cubs this season. And this is just a means of keeping his innings down while still getting him some work. So he will be back. On the topic of the Cubs and Brewers, before we move on, uh, some suspensions were actually handed down by MLB today. Reliever Ryan Tapera was suspended three games for throwing behind Brewers pitcher Brandon Woodruff. David Ross, of course, a manager, was suspended one game. And apparently coach Mike Borzello, the Cubs game planner, received a suspension of indeterminate amount. And again, this is for the Cubs retaliating by not hitting anybody, by not hurting anybody, for Wilson Contreras getting – hit time after time after time guys, is this necessary? Why is MLB doing this?
2: Well, I'm going to go first. I'm going to be a little uh, contrarian. I don't really necessarily have a problem with it. I'm not a big fan of guys throwing at guys. I mean, to me it's pretty clear to pair was thrown at him. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're like, have super, you know, evidence that it was intentional, but he was, I think. And if MLB wants to put it out there, they don't want guys throwing at guys. I think you make an example and a 3 game suspension for Ryan Tepera, one game for David Ross. I don't think it's going to hurt that the Cubs that much. Uh it's disappointing that I I think I I'm not a fan of, you know, throwing at guys. I said that. I mean, if you're going to throw at a guy, you do it like Tepera did, do it. You throw it uh, low behind him. I think it's a little weird to go after Woodruff, but I guess whatever. But I like it to handle it the way Wilson handled it. He just cranked a homer and then stunted all over the bases and all Milwaukee just from the crowd. Like, that's the way I think it should be handled. Um, so for me, I'm not a big um, – I, I don't have necessarily have a problem with it. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, I don't know if Rona was getting at this, but with Las Diaz, was he the one that – with Comiskey that they attacked – the one the guy I, I thought it was maybe Las Diaz was he the one that was attacked? I mean, oh, Gamboa, the first base coach for the Royals, but I then the next year they did an umpire. I thought it was Las Diaz. That's a
1: great question. Um, I, let me take a quick look, see if I can. You're, you're actually right. Uh, Diaz was attacked by an intoxicated fan while umpiring first base at a game at Comiskey Park in April 2003. Oh man, this gets really bad here. Hang on, the yeah, fan. That's what I uh, Eric Dibis a self-described Cubs fan geez, had attended a game at Wrigley Field earlier in the day and had been drinking all day Laz easily stifled the attack and the fan was later sentenced up to 180 days in jail yeah. and one month of probation for aggravated I thought they battery
2: were, like, Laz was Brudal. like a former Marine or something so he was able to handle it he's a tank yeah. he's not the guy you gotta go after no no, not I mean, all. don't go after any of them. I'm not advocating for that. I'm just
1: saying, if you're going to go after any of them, don't go after Laz Diaz. He looks like he can handle things, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But he, and, um, he, he, and the Cubs dugout were going at it. They were chirping all night. And uh, I just know that Randall, anytime the umpire is involved in the game beyond just calling balls and strikes that, that one gets under your skin. That's something that you never let go.
0: Yeah. You, you know, the more, you know, an official's name, generally the worse job they're doing and Laz Diaz is definitely one of those names among Major League umpires. I, I, I suppose Jeremy does have a point. I do understand why MLB is doing this. I don't think the Brewers are intentionally hitting Wilson. I think they're just really bad at throwing inside. But I don't think you need to, to suspend anybody on the Cubs roster or coaching staff for sticking up for their guy without actually hitting anybody. The, the player who did not actually hit anybody – Got more suspensions than the the countless individuals to have hit Wilson in some very scary places. He took a ball right off the brim of his batting helmet uh, a week and a half ago, and again, nobody on the Brewers has seen any kind of uh, sanction for this. I think MLB's priorities, as they so often are, are simply misplaced. Today is Thursday. I'm sorry, Ronan. Go ahead.
1: You know, I have one more umpire question for you because I'm I like obsessing over these things. Is there an umpire that that you like? Like, is there an umpire name that you go, you know what? I respect that guy. He's been around for a while. He does a good job. I'm cool with him.
0: You know, generally the umpires who do the best jobs are the ones you hear about the least. So I don't know that I could name any of them. I will say this, Jim Joyce, when he, in his own words, kicked the shit out of the final play of what would have been Andres Galarraga's no hitter. Was that, was it a no hitter? or was it a perfect game. Armando. Right? Armando Galarraga. You're right. Not Andres. Armando Galarraga. He did get up in front of the microphones that night and he did say, you know what? I got that call completely wrong. Again, in his own words, I kicked the shit out of it and I respect him for doing that. It can't be easy to go up there and admit to the media and the cameras that you not only messed up in a high profile spot, but that you cost a guy uh, a little spot in history. So, you know, most of the umpires who do the best at their jobs are the ones I can't name, but Jim Joyce, I think did, did good that night in, uh, admitting his role in, in making a big mistake. So if you, if you need me to pick one, I'll go with Jim Joyce.
2: Good stuff. I think, Oh yeah. I'm trying to think of who called the game. I can't remember who called the game last night uh, uh, with the white Sox. but I think I saw there's a Twitter account called up Scorecard. I know Randall will be all over it. And I think he was 98% at the, uh, at the plate. So that was pretty good. And uh, Bill Miller, who called the game before, I was also pretty highly up there. So uh, I think that's pretty good to get ninety-eight percent. And it was a guy, I, you, a name that I, but I'm just blanking on who it was. I think it's pretty good to get ninety-eight percent of the calls right. Yeah, totally you know, agree. I
0: don't, I don't really go in for those kind of accounts because I know a lot of the time the graphic data they use is kind of skewed, and there's no point in making things worse than they already are when it comes to monitoring Major League umpiring. But uh, we've known for years that some umpires are more consistent in being bad at their jobs and you know that's not going to improve anytime soon we record this on the evening of thursday april 15th which is of course jackie robinson day it was on this day in 1947 that jackie robinson made his major league debut and as has become the modern custom all uniformed personnel today are wearing jackie robinson's iconic number 42 Ronan and Jeremy, I know one of you put out some content from our Twitter account earlier, BTYL podcast on Twitter. Um, some footage of Jackie Robinson playing at Wrigley in 1947. Um, what, what sticks out about this day to you year in and year out?
1: I just think it's awesome. I think it's so cool that all the guys out there are wearing number 42. I mean, I don't know that we'll ever see anything as significant or impactful as what he did. What, what, 60 years ago now, 1947, my math isn't so good. Uh, It was incredible. And what he went through on his way to the major leagues, what he experienced as a major league player, um, it ushered in, all the awesome stuff too, about baseball we have now, it's truly an international game. You've got people on major league rosters from the United States, from Canada, all over Latin America, uh, the Pacific Rim. I mean, it's a worldwide game now. And it's a big part of that because of Jackie Robinson. So I think it's a great tradition. I think it's really cool. I was thinking about this earlier today. The Cubs are gonna celebrate it tomorrow with the day off today. You've got two old school national league teams tomorrow at Wrigley field, playing a day baseball game, the Cubs and the Braves, they're all wearing number 42. That's badass. That's awesome. And major league baseball messes up so much stuff when it comes to marketing, branding their game, building their game. This is something they actually get right. And I think it's a really cool thing. I'm looking forward to tomorrow.
2: Yeah. Jackie Robinson day is always a special day. Um, it's interesting how it all came about. You know, I remember, um, you know, originally it was just like a few guys, I think like Ken Griffey Jr. And some other guys were like, you know, we want to wear 42 that day. And then the more and more guys start doing it, the Major League Baseball is like, oh, why didn't everybody just wear 42? And it's, it's a fun day. Uh, today, uh, Jason Benetti was on the call. Uh, the White Sox game when benches cleared. And he was like, I don't know if we've ever had a benches clearing issue with everybody wearing <laughs> the same number. He's like, I don't know how Major League Baseball is going to go through this and try to determine who's who. Uh, so, uh, you know, they could just say eject 42. But uh, Jackie Robinson, obviously, you know, it, the moment of, you know, breaking the color barrier and, and everything he did is such a huge uh, accomplishment and, and, and an important milestone. But also that he was like a fantastic baseball player. Like he, he, he's not an overrated baseball player. He's a great baseball player. He came in, he played at age 28, a little old. You know, unfortunately, a lot of these guys, we never really got to see the beginning of their careers or even any of their careers for many of them but he was able to come in at age 28 and play 10 years for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he had a remarkable baseball career. He was one of the most exciting players ever. He he could hit, he could run, he could field, he could do it all. And he was a special baseball player. And they say that maybe baseball probably wasn't even his best or most loved sport. He was a football player at UCLA. Um, So who knows what he could have been just a guy with a special life. And uh, it's just a cool event. It's cool. I just always like seeing everybody wearing number 42. It's a cool event.
0: Jeremy, it's it's funny you mentioned how all this started. It was 2007, as you said, that Ken Griffey Jr. asked if he could wear number 42 that day. And it, it spread across the league from there. I was actually at the first Jackie Robinson day at Wrigley Field in 2007, where Derek Lee, Daryl Ward, Cliff Floyd, and coach um, Lester Strode wore number 42 that day. And obviously things have changed. Things are always in a state of change. Um, But what I remember about those first few years is that there were certain MLB teams that didn't actually have an African-American player on the roster. Uh, Players who were from Latin America were wearing number 42. And I think MLB found themselves uh, a little embarrassed by that to the point where they would, they would uh, just a few years later mandate that everyone wear number 42. Um, So that's one of the things that jumps out at me sometimes. Uh, But as you said, Jackie Robinson, uh, an individual of incredible strength and incredible courage to do what he did and reach the major leagues and endure some of the physical and verbal abuse that he did. And it's, it's fitting that right now that today happens to be Jackie Robinson day because it seems like we are reminded daily, weekly, monthly, uh, how much further we still have to go as people of color, are uh, targets of violence, targets of brutality. And Jackie Robinson reminds us that there is always work to be done, uh, no matter what time, no matter when it is.
2: One thing I didn't know, I don't think until I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, was that uh, Jackie Robinson was actually traded after his 10th year in Brooklyn to the New York Giants. And he didn't want to be, he was not a Giant. He was a Dodger. And he didn't want to play for the Giants. So he just retired. And I always thought that was an interesting fact. There's another
1: story sort of tied in with Jackie Robinson that a lot of people don't talk about so much even in the movie 42 which came out a couple of years ago and and told a story of Robinson's rise up to the majors and everything this character was sort of overlooked and I think that it's a story more people should know and it was an African-American journalist by the name of Sam Lacey grew up in Washington DC as a kid he worked at Griffith Stadium actually caddied the U.S. Open in 1921 as well, but he ended up being a journalism student at Howard University, wrote for the Washington Tribune and became a prominent sports journalist in the 1930s in the United States. He's got Chicago ties as well, actually. He worked for a black newspaper in Chicago, the Chicago Defender in 1941. But one of the things that he did when he was in the Midwest is he was really pressuring the commissioner of Major League Baseball at the time, uh, Mountain Landis, to desegregate the game and make the case basically that this is America's game. We need everybody being eligible to play for it. Jackie Robinson ends up obviously in Montreal before breaking into major league baseball. He covered him when he was up there, traveled. So all the minor league games that Jackie would have been playing in, he dealt with the same problems that Jackie had, uh, not being allowed into press boxes because of his skin color, uh, segregated restaurants, particularly in the southern United States. So here you have this journalist covering Jackie Robinson's story sort of as he rises to prominence in Major League Baseball. Uh, A couple years later, 1948, becomes the first African-American member member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So I would like to see Sam Lacy's story tied into this a little bit more. I think he's an iconic sports journalist, particularly an African-American sports journalist. And his story, along with Jackie's, is amazing. And what they overcame, what they accomplished is really telling. And I'd like to see Major League Baseball celebrate that a little bit more as well.
0: That's excellent background and excellent history, Ron. And hopefully our listeners can uh, learn something from that, take something away from that. And one more thing before we move on, you mentioned it is fitting that uh, a a, friend, a storied and historic franchise like the Braves is in town tomorrow. Wrigley, of course, has the distinction of being the last remaining ballpark at which Jackie Robinson played. Uh, he attended an on-field tryout at Fenway Park, as I learned as I was doing a little bit of research earlier. But of course, Wrigley, the last ballpark, in which he played a major league game. So Wrigley gets to claim uh, that much history as well. Takes us to our next topic. Something that kind of fell between the cracks between additions for us here is that Major League Baseball some weeks ago took away the all-star game from the Atlanta Braves and their uh, recent shiny new ballpark in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. And they have instead awarded it to, of all places, Denver and Coors Field. And I know we have at least one member of the podcast who is looking very forward to that. Ronan, how excited are you to have the MLB All-Star Game in your adopted home city this summer?
1: It's going to be great. It's really, really cool. There's already a lot of buzz, actually, here in Denver about it. Um, People have been listening to the show. I am two blocks away from the ballpark. I can hear the PA announcer when my windows are open in the summer here. It's going to be literally in the backyard, I guess, and that's going to be really, really neat. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, Coors Field is a beautiful ballpark. It's a large ballpark. They've got a brand new hotel, uh, condominium complex, office space right here in downtown Denver. It's kind of a hot area right now in a part of the country that's booming population wise. On the other hand, I'm a little bit frustrated that the ownership group here in Colorado is getting rewarded for the offseason that they just had. They trade their their franchise player away. They ship a whole bunch of money to St. Louis of all places. So I don't like that they're getting rewarded for that. But at the same time, it's going to be really cool here in Denver. I think the ballpark, which has not hosted an All-Star game since back in 1998, Deserves the national stage. This is a beautiful place and a unique place to play Major League Baseball here in North America. And I think that Denver is going to be a wonderful host city. It's also going to be fun, like all the extra stuff around it, like that week, all the people in town, the events that are going to be going on, the energy in the city. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get tickets for the actual All-Star game. We'll see. But I'm certainly looking at, like, the Futures game or even the Home Run Derby as something that could be an interesting fit. So it's going to be an interesting week here. Denver is a great host city for the national and international baseball spotlight. But uh, the ownership group stinks, so it kind of stinks that they're getting rewarded for their efforts.
2: Hortsfield, you, as you mentioned, uh, 1998, I believe, was the last year that they uh... – had the all-star game and a uh, home run derby uh was pretty cool. You had Mark McGuire, basically almost, you know, how far that is to the scoreboard up to the, onto the concourse back there in the left field. Uh, so I hope they uh, get rid of the humidor during the home run derby. Let's see how far let these guys can actually let them rip. Let's see how far these guys can actually hit. Uh I was fortunate enough to go to the all-star game back in 03, uh When it was on the South side, I went to every day futures game. I got to see Cubs uh future legend, David Kelton take a plate wow. appearance in the future's game uh some guys like that and then I did get to go to the uh home Run derby where I where Albert Pujols at the time put up what was like a record 13 or 14 home runs in a round although I think Garrett Anderson ended up winning there and then also uh but uh it's always a fun thing yeah definitely be fun out there in Denver and it's an interesting thing we'll see how what happens with major league baseball I my opinions on moving it, I don't. I don't really know. I, I'm kind of. I have a mixed. Come from a mixed place on it. It's kind of a weird thing. I'd have to really. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really in, uh, studied the whole election law issue. Um, but uh, you know, Denver wins out. They get the. They're fortunate enough to get to bring it back. So uh, uh, it It should be fun out there, and and I really hope they let them rip without the humidor.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. I believe Charlie Blackmon is on record as saying he wants them to ditch the humidor for the home run derby. And I I think they need to, I think just put Dinger on the concourse out there, have him run back and forth maybe with like an air raid helmet on as baseballs rain down upon him. I am uh, a registered cynic when it comes to MLB and a lot of their, their events and antics, but I am an unabashed fan of the home run derby. I like watching baseballs lobbed up there and hit 500 feet with the, the crowd screaming and the players sitting on the field in foul territory, which you probably won't get in this summer's edition of the All-Star Game, depending on who's vaccinated and who isn't. But I, I love the Home Run Derby. I missed the All-Star Game not happening last year. Uh, I'm happy to see it back. And Ronan, as you said, Coors Field, a wonderful backdrop for events like this. And I, I think uh, if MLB is able to get that far in the season, I think it's going to be a lot of fun with uh, at Coors Field there. Record. Jeremy, go back. I'm I'm surprised
1: that major league baseball made this decision
0: because they've not, I was just about to go back to Jeremy, what Jeremy said and answer that um, is that I am a little surprised because there was some discussion of them doing this in, I believe 2011, when the all-star game was hosted at uh, chase field in Phoenix and Arizona had recently introduced um, a similar or at least similar in the same vein law, requiring a certain amount of identification for people. And there was some talk of rescinding the all-star game then as well for a similarly, for a law that similarly targets and oppresses minorities. And that obviously did not happen. It was played at chase as scheduled. My thought at the time and my thought now 10 years apart is I think MLB's motives are not necessarily, um, they're, they're not necessarily generated by, a newfound conscience or or you know political conscience i think they were worried about losing money as mlb so often is but they they sent a message just the same my concern my only concern really is that often boycotts like this on a large scale they end up hurting most hurting the people who can least afford to be hurt by them the braves and the other corporate advertisers who are set to make uh, a nice bit of money off of the all-star game they will not do so but they are also major corporations. They can handle it. And, you know, I don't know that anybody around the Braves ballpark, maybe who had a restaurant, maybe who had a hotel was counting on the all-star game for uh, what would have been a whole lot of income, but that certainly could be it. And my concern is only ever for the people who can least afford to lose an event like that. But MLB wanted to send kind of a one-time message that would most impact the Braves and the other other parties in Georgia and they did so. And again, I don't think they did so out of any kind of conscience, but they did so just the same. And sometimes a good decision for not necessarily the best reasons can still help people. So I was surprised that they they took that step and they they pulled the trigger on that.
2: I, I, I'm not sure, um, I was really surprised just for the sake of just for the climate we're in nowadays and just for, you know, not that they didn't—they didn't do it. They and they explicitly, basically said they didn't do it because of the players. But the players, uh, the players' alliance, the newly formed group, was discussing it and having a Jason Hayward, obviously a Georgia kid, uh, involved in that. And it seemed like the players were getting to the point where maybe they would try to do something about it. But it really, as Randall mentioned, it was more the corporate side that I, I clearly it seemed like their MLB's corporate partners and sponsors really put the pressure on MLB for MLB to pull out and uh, you know, it's an interesting decision. Uh, Randall mentioned possibly hurting some people. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure it, that's as big of a deal as it, as it's mentioned because, well, first of all, it's, this is all money. This is like, you know, this, this is not money that they were guaranteed or had planned for This is just a one-time event that's like, and so they're, they're just not making anything that, they wouldn't have had any, I mean, they're just, their loss is not gaining, I guess, right. which, and I which think sucks.
0: That's, that's what makes this kind of the effective move that it is. It is just a one-time thing. You're not necessarily dictating a policy going forward on the part of MLB. So as a, as a message to be sent, I think this is a very effective tool on MLB's part to send this one-time message by saying, we're gonna pull this event from you. Hopefully you can do better in the future. And there is a precedent in a different sport in the NBA. Charlotte was set to host um, an all-star game some years ago before the state legislature passed a bill and that got the, they lost them the all-star game. That bill was eventually taken off the books and Charlotte got the all-star game some years down the road. So there is, I don't know that it's going to work that way, but I imagine the message was, look, if you clean this up and the state government takes this off the books, you will get another all-star game down the road. And I hope that happens.
1: Well, you know what else is due here too, Wrigley field time for an all-star game in Chicago. And uh, I'm glad though it's not this year. I didn't, I, it was something that had been floated too. Like, okay, we knew the All-Star game was moving out of Atlanta before Denver was decided or at least publicly announced this was going to be the place. I didn't want it to be this year, though, in Chicago. I do think they'll be at near full capacity in Denver. Um, If they're not at 100 percent, it's going to be very close. I don't know Chicago is going to be at that point necessarily by the middle of July. I want Wrigley Field to get a proper All-Star game, but I think it's coming here in the next couple of years. It seemed like the renovations were the big thing holding it up. And now it's time that the Cubs will get their first one since 90.
2: Yeah, it's definitely time. Uh, thirty years. There's only there's only thirty teams in the league, so we're over thirty years now. If everybody just got one and rotated, the Cubs would definitely be due. So uh, it's interesting, as you said, the, the we finally got the renovations. We thought we would be getting it a little bit sooner, but definitely sometime. You know, next year will be the Dodgers because the Dodgers yeah. got screwed out of last year with uh, COVID. But uh, to go back a little bit, just talking about the whole. Uh, reasoning for why they pulled out, you know, I'm mean, not to get political on here, but to me, the things that concern me more as a thing are the uh, is more the the election law in terms of, uh, kind of the after the vote of who has the power and control and whatever of certifying results and all that stuff. What how the government is injecting themselves into that? You know, we saw all the issues last year. I'm not trying to make a big political thing. But that's the stuff that, as a person, I would be most concerned about. And so I'm curious if that, like, what if, – if they're just pulling out just because, you know, ID or whatever. Like, other places have ID issue, you know, a uh, more stringent ID issue. Uh, so it, it was interesting because I, I imagine it was difficult for them to pull out of Georgia and then try to figure out, well, where can we go? Where to, What place can we go to? Because we have – now we made the stand. We have to go to a place that, you know – Like Colorado, it's pretty much – they have mostly uh, mail-in voting. Everybody gets a mail-in ballot, so I understand that. Why? So it would have been interesting. I mean Illinois probably would have been an option. But, yeah, the Cubs are definitely due, so hopefully we get one soon. I was just
1: going to say voting is very easy here. That's something I've been impressed by, and I've been out here for a couple of elections now. Um, As you said, Jeremy, every registered voter – gets a ballot sent to their house. That's that's not something you have to opt into, it's coming to you. You also get a book with all of the issues. So you get plenty of time to prepare for it. Early voting is prominent here in Denver, which you don't see a lot of are long lines because you've got all these options to do it, drop it off in safe locations. So I, I would love to see more states model what they do actually here in Colorado, I think it's about as fair as it gets. And um, this is a state that has an interesting political history, has gone from red to purple to blue pretty rapidly over the last 10, 15 years or so. And um, it's a state that I think is going to make a great host for the All-Star game this summer.
0: Yeah, my assumption when they pulled it from Atlanta was that they had another host city or at least a very short short list already lined up to the point where they, they pulled out of Atlanta because they felt comfortable placing it into another city. And uh, I, Ronan, like you said, there was some buzz that maybe Wrigley newly renovated with a new area around the ballpark would have been up in this. And I, I agree with you selfishly. I would not have wanted to see Wrigley host it this year because Wrigley deserves full capacity and it deserves all the fanfare and glitz and under the lights that uh, the all-star game provides. So my hope is that uh, in another two years or so Wrigley gets that chance. You didn't the
2: Ricketts Ricketts family, uh, getting this well you know
0: ronan ronan made this point that he he doesn't like the ownership group being rewarded i understand that the marlins and we 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 all know how the marlins operate and how we feel about the marlins they were rewarded with an all-star game after building their new ballpark which they did with any any amount of money from the local municipalities down there i've never found that uh, whether an ownership group is trying or not has a whole lot of effect on whether they get an all-star game or not.
2: Well, uh, I wasn't really talking about whether they were trying or not. I was I was more referring to Pete Ricketts sure. being Ronan, the governor of Nebraska, up, Todd Ricketts being uh, raising money for Trump, and Joe Ricketts. I, I just thought it would be interesting for them to be pulling it out of Georgia and then giving it to the Ricketts family.
0: There's, there's layers to trying. everything. There's layers to everything, Jeremy. Everything is connected. Moving on from the topic of the All-Star game to the topic of an individual who was probably on track to be an All-Star this year. Uh, About a week and a half ago, Fernando Tatis Jr. suffered a terrible shoulder injury while swinging the bat in a game. Ronan, I know you are a big Fernando Tatis Jr. guy, as many fans are. It's unfortunate to see one of the game's best young players suffer an injury of this caliber, especially early in the season.
1: No doubt. No doubt. I mean, this is a guy who could very easily be the NL MVP this year, assuming he's healthy. The Padres have put together an aggressive uh, offseason here, making a good team even better in a real legitimate effort to dethrone the Dodgers as the champions in the National League West. It was such an amazing storyline and everything. And now you've got this young star out. Um, It's terrible. I feel horrible for him. He gets this amazing contract. He's 22 years old. He's ready to just totally blow up, and now he's got this injury with a lot of uncertainty, I think, about the recovery. I think that's what's concerning. The question of whether or not to have surgery or just rehab it, and then the risk of, is this something that could happen again in the future? And if so, is it gonna sap his power? Is it gonna sap the speed at which he swings the bat? That's all scary for a young budding star in the game selfishly too, Padres are here all the damn time. And that's a team that in the past couple of years, I've not enjoyed watching come to Coors field was really looking forward to that team coming in here, getting to see them play all the time, just down the street. So it just really stinks that one of the games, young stars and one of the best storylines in the national league West. And that division this year is kind of thrown to the side right now. Here's to a speedy recovery. I hope he's back and hitting bombs sooner than later.
2: Well, I, I believe he's supposed to be activated tomorrow. So he's supposed to be back. Uh, uh, he's been taking that bats and batting practice. So uh, we'll see uh, how he's going to be. But, uh, you know, I thought when he first went down, I, I went back and watched it. Um, and I was listening to the announcers and they were saying, well, this happens to Tatis all the time. His shoulder comes in and out. And I'm like, well, that's not good. that's that. No. And he looks like a pain. I'm like, he, he's going to have to have surgery on that, I would assume because uh, you can't just have him your your shoulder coming in and out all the time so i thought he'd be done i, I figured they having surgery he'd be out for a long time but supposedly he's coming back tomorrow and i don't know i don't know how he'll be he he i he I, him he was saying you know um, they were saying that he, you know he's fine whatever he can hit um I, i'm a little skeptical i i i well i i wouldn't want to run the guy into the ground i i would i assumed that He's pr- probably anti-surgery because he wants to play. I-, I-, I would think that, but I don't know. It- the Padres are a good team. Even if Tatis is gone, they're still a good team. They're loaded load of talent. So I-, I don't necessarily think you need to rush the guy, but if they feel comfortable with it, I guess we'll see how he goes. And-, and if he can perform.
0: Well, as, as a fan, that would worry me watching a guy come back from an injury that looked that bad that quickly. And, you know, I'm sure if he's coming back, the team doctors have told him it's a matter of how much pain can you tolerate? Can you make it worse or not? But every time the guy swings the bat or win or throws the ball or winces even a little bit, I'd be sitting there wondering, gosh, is he hurt again? Is it hurt worse? Yeah. And apparently there's some, some precedent for this type of injury, not necessarily being season ending. Hanley Ramirez then of, I believe the Marlins came back from the same injury in 2007. He played a productive rest of his season and then opted for surgery in the off season. So I would just hope that the, the doctors have told Tatis that he's not going to make it worse. And it's just a matter of how much pain he can tolerate as he plays. And if he is coming back tomorrow, best of luck to him. Um, I hope he's able to play through it and continue being the exciting young player that the league knows that he is.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, the, the thing is, though, it's as you mentioned, Jeremy, a minute ago, it's not the only shoulder issue that he's had. He had three of these in about three weeks, culminating in the bad one that put him on the injured list. So this has been a recurring thing. And Randall also defensively, like any time the guy leaves his feet, playing defense, diving for a ball, you're going to be holding your breath and going, what's happening with the shoulder? Is he going to be fine? So it seems a little bit worrisome. I obviously know way less than the team doctors. I trust that that training staff knows what they're doing and bringing him back. They've got a huge series this weekend with the Dodgers. So that is compelling and interesting. But this this is a concern. And this is a concern that a young star has a recurring injury and an injury that could potentially drastically change his swing, which could take away what he does as good as anybody.
2: Yeah, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of how he'll be, how he'll perform. Uh, I'm curious how the Dodgers, or excuse me, the Padres will utilize him, What, how often they'll play him, if he's going to play every day. It's just, I, it's such like, you know, with his shoulder having these issues. And like I said, the Padres have talent. They have guys that can play shortstop. They're not going to go away. They don't need Fernando Tatis, like, right in this moment. I, I, the Dodgers going to be a big series, but I, I just, I may I, I mean, if he's their stud, so I guess if he wants to come back, they're going to do what he wants to do, I guess. But I'm just very skeptical of it. I I just hope that he's not rushing it back and he finds himself in a worse situation.
0: Another another concern of mine would be the, the mindset among all athletes, not just pro athletes, is that you have to play through injuries like this. You have to be there for your team. You have to be on the field so you can contribute. You would hope that Tatis isn't in that mindset to a damaging degree And you would hope nobody on the team has been in his ear feeding him that. You would hope that the team has told him, take as long as you need. You are essential to our future. We don't want you making this worse. And you would hope that Tatis knows that and isn't rushing himself back as a result of that. When we see it all the time, we've seen it with the Cubs the last three or four seasons where players have played through injuries that they probably would have been better off sitting out and letting heal because they wanted to be on the field at 70%. Versus not playing at all. And I think that's a mindset that's probably pervasive throughout sports. And we just hope it's not the driving force behind Tatis coming back because Ronan, as you said, if this injury worsens or goes that much further south, it could not just alter the trajectory of his careers, could end his career entirely. And you just hope that's not the case for him.
2: Well, I'd be afraid as a middle infielder, whether or not he collides or or like a shoulder, you know, making a turn at second, who knows, or he on the base paths. That would be my fear. You don't want something really bad to happen to that shoulder.
1: Yeah, it'll be worth watching, though. He is fun to watch. And, Jeremy, you're right. That's a good team even without him. They will still compete with the Dodgers for the season, but obviously much better with that MVP candidate. Randall, have you ever played through an injury?
0: Have I ever played through an injury? Well, Ronan, I've never really played at all. So my answer to that is kind of a blanket no.
2: Well, you've had a few uh, shoulder injuries on the field in the past.
0: You know, I, I don't think I've ever had any notable shoulder injuries. Well, I, you know, I believe sitting... in, the
2: ba- in Ronan's backyard there might have been a time where you got popped in the shoulder a little bit. Well, I don't know that it, that out. was.
0: I don't know that that was a shoulder injury. I do know people have run into me while playing uh, some pickup sports in Ronan's backyard, not to name names or anything, but. Uh, you know, I, I've never played really seriously anything at all, so I can definitely say I've never played through injury, maybe sitting I, sitting out a day here and there just for, uh, you know, rest, managing the workload, but Ronan, you're think, shaking your head at me, I'm going to regret tossing this to you, but go ahead.
1: I think you're selling yourself short. Because what I was kind of thinking with that was, you know, your line of work over the years here has been performative in nature, right? As a science instructor, you get out at events, you teach students, you're, you're, you know, putting together experiments and whatever the hell you're doing at those things. So you're not not like you're just sitting at a desk all day typing away. So that's why I think that if you have an injury, has it ever prevented you from performing in any of those
0: events when you're working with students? You know, I'm I'm very fortunate to have never been put on the injured list uh, with regards to employment. So I, I suppose like some very lucky athletes, I'm just very fortunate in that regard to have never missed significant time with an injury. No better time to change the topic than now. The Independent Atlantic League, which uh, in recent months has partnered with Major League Baseball as a number of other uh, independent and minor leagues have in uh, being the test bed for some rule changes, they announced this week that they are going to move their pitching mound back by a foot, and they are also going to institute what's called a double hook rule. Teams will lose the designated hitter when the starting pitcher has been removed from the game, and I know we've talked in past editions about some of the different rule changes that will be instituted in the minor leagues this year. Where do you guys stand, Jeremy? Where do you stand on moving the mound back? Where do you stand on the double hook rule?
2: Uh, moving the mound back, I, I could be for that. Um, I think it's good to have a test subject to do that. I mean, God, I mean, the thing about it with being in the Atlantic League is I don't really know if that's going to really uh, tell us that much because I, I don't I don't I mean I don't know as much about the Atlantic, Atlantic League, but I don't anticipate guys are throwing as hard there. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they're just wild. But I, I you know, I, I would think you would want more data from closer to the majors, I guess. But you know, the way that baseball's been, and and guys, everybody throws so hard, and they throw so much, uh, have so much movement, the pitch shape, the, all the technology that's going into it, that it's almost impossible to hit nowadays. I, I think even, you know, not. You look at like Corbin Burns. I mean, I, I realize the Cubs had issues, but like our Woodruff for any of these guys that are out there, they're so nasty that like t- 10 years ago, I wasn't even like this. Everybody throws 95 out of the bullpen. Everybody throws up in the upper 90s. Every, like, you know, 20 years ago, the average fastball, or I mean, I'm thinking like maybe early 90s, average fastball is like velocity is like 92. Now it's like 95. And in the late 80s, it was like in the high 80s, like 88 was the average fastball velocity. So like it's almost impossible to hit. And so, and the strikeouts are out of control, always going up. So I, I like the idea of putting it back. I think, it, you know, just to even things out a little bit, give the hitters a little bit of a chance to put the bat on the ball. So I, I think that's good. Um, And as to the double hook, I'm not exactly sh- sure how that'll play. I don't, I don't really know my feelings on that. It's something that's we, I am like, I'm not quite sure what they think they're trying to solve with that. Cause I feel like you need offense. So I, I, I feel more comfortable having a dozen air than not having a dozen air, but uh, we'll see how that goes as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And that, if that one feels a little bit gimmicky, I'm actually pretty
1: open-minded to this manipulating the mound a little bit. I think this is a very interesting thing. And it's not that out of the question, because as we talked about a couple weeks ago on here, the mound has already been manipulated multiple times over the years in Major League Baseball, including being lowered by nearly a third of the size of the mound to where it is now. Um, Something interesting that I saw here, Major League Baseball determined that if you move the mound back one foot, A 93 mile per hour fastball, which was the average fastball velocity last year, appears like 91 miles per hour for batters. That is a very, very small difference in terms of visually. The mound being one foot back, you wouldn't even notice that if you went out to the ballpark. Um, And we're talking about the rubber, of course. The mound would probably stay the same, just the rubber would go back a foot. The the difference to a hitter two miles per hour on that, that is a significant change. That is an advantage for the offense. And right now offense is completely overmatched. So I'd be very interested to see how that plays out. And um, I I don't think that's out of the question. I think something needs to change here. Strikeouts are at an unbelievable rate. You've heard me bitch about Javier Baez multiple times already on the show over the last couple of weeks here. But strikeouts are out of control in baseball. There needs to be more action. This is something that is worth studying and
2: possibly in- implementing at the major league level. Yeah, I, I, to me, as we talked about a few weeks ago with our good friend Greg uh, Kern, Kerner, uh, it, that's an issue. And strikeouts are a problem. And I, I, I will, I'm for anything that I think will reduce strikeouts because I think the game has gotten too much and it's not all pitching. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the most efficient thing to do in baseball is to hit a home run. So there's a lot of guys are just swinging for the fences. But I, I, right now the advantage I think is too big for the pitcher, even though, you know, there's home runs, you, the ball, whatever. I still think the advantage is too big for the pitcher. I think it's it's kind of sucking the fun out of the game a little bit. The game is a lot more fun when there's balls in play. And people complain about how long games take. The game goes faster when there's more balls in play. Uh, strikeouts take a long time. There's a lot of pitches to get a strikeout. Walks take a long time. There's a lot of pitches. When The guys that are pitching the fastest, are they have the fastest games, are the guys that make, you know, they get a lot of contact, and they get, like, ground ball outs or whatever. So the game goes faster when there's balls to play. It's a more exciting when there's balls to play. You want runners on base. You want hits. uh, You want things, you know, doubles, triples. Those are more exciting. Home runs are exciting, yes, but strikeouts are not exciting. Go to a ball game, you see five, six, seven, eight strikeouts just to get to a one three run homer where it's like walk, you know, maybe hit by pitch home run. Like I, it's more exciting. You watch an older game and you, there's so much more action and it's more exciting when there's more action on the field. And so, you know, I'm not against, you know, hitting home runs and being my I, modern baseball saber sabermetrics, all that stuff. I'm, not at all. But if there's a way to do that and get more action, I think that's a benefit to everybody. Randall, I thought J.D. had an interesting quote last night
1: where he said something. Boog was asking him, like, Major League Baseball players are creatures of habit. So you make a change like this, a lot of guys are going to be complaining, especially veterans in baseball. And J.D. came back with, but you know what? The interesting thing is the current guys doesn't matter what they think. This is about the future of the game of baseball, the next generation and what's coming as the game continues to evolve. What do you make of that? Like, I thought that was kind of an interesting way of putting it and thinking about changes like this and how it impacts the future of the game.
0: Well, J.D., a very thoughtful individual, especially when it comes to discussing the state of baseball and going forward. And that's an excellent point by him. You're not making changes like this uh, to make things easier or harder necessarily for the guys playing now. You're trying to affect the game going forward, where it's going to be 10 years, 20 years from now. So that's an excellent point by him. And uh, I admit I'm against a lot of these changes that MLB is, is tweaking and playing around with, but that is another way of looking at it that I admit I had not really thought about before is that you're, you're, you're trying to keep the game going. You're, you're trying to improve the game's longevity. And in that regard, I, I suppose I can't fault MLB for doing what they can. They're clearly worried about the lack of offense. One of the minor league, changes they're instituting this year is is banning the shift to some degree between that and experimenting with moving the mound back you know they're clearly looking at ways to give hitters more of an advantage because they feel the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction and I think ultimately like you said Ronan there's a very real chance they end up instituting some of these things and I think it's going to be I think it might be a little bit messy in the transition period I think they're going to try some things that don't really work uh, I think they're going to go on the books and then come off the books as they find that. But it, it, with all these changes that they are looking into and attempting, I think it's very possible that within the next 10 years, the, the very nature of hitting and of pitching and, and fielding has changed from what we're used to. And I think that will be interesting to see where it all ends up. Maybe, maybe good interesting, maybe bad interesting, but I think it will be interesting.
1: The game's certainly evolving. I mean, minor league baseball has been completely overhauled. We're a year away from the designated hitter being... The thing again in the National League, right? Um, we saw the designated hitter in the National League last year. Um, possibly further expanded playoffs are on the horizon here with this new collective bargaining agreement. There'll be changes to the draft. There'll be changes to international spending. There's going to be other rule changes. So I think as baseball fans, we've—I was telling Ray this earlier today. It's like 20 years ago. The problem in baseball is there was too much offense, right? We were in the middle of the steroid era, working itself out of the game into this analytics era that we've been in, in the last 15 years or so here we are now pitching is completely dominant. So it's just interesting. The game goes through these waves. It evolves. It changes. Watch a world series from the mid 1980s. doesn't look like the game you're seeing today. Hopefully it's not going to look that way 10, 15 years from now either. So we're just watching this play out in real time. And it's going to be interesting to see how these changes affect the sport and the viewing experience moving forward.
2: Yeah, that was the point I was, uh, kind of trying to make a few weeks ago is that the game evolves also on its own and that everybody talks about, well, you know, I don't like to change the game because, you know, whatever, but the game changes on its itself. Like, as you mentioned, if you're watching a world series in the eighties, it, it's completely different than what baseball looks like today. They don't look the same. Uh, personally, as I was mentioning, I would like to go back a little bit more towards that just because I, I as I mentioned before, I, I like a little bit of action. I like a little bit of contact. Uh, maybe it's just you like the I'm advancements. Uh, yes, uh, maybe it's just because i la- uh watching these Cubs games lately, but I like to see some bats on balls and some guys putting some ba- uh, balls to play. So I, I do like that, and I feel like if we if you don't do it, I do feel like there are times you have to put your finger on the scale. And, like, if you don't do anything right now, I feel like strikeouts are just going to jump. And if they're trying to get, get the ball to, like, not fly as far, then offense is going to go down because right now the only way to score is to hit home run. You, it's really hard to score other ways because people aren't getting hit or they aren't going for hits and, and they're not scoring in any other way. But to go back a little bit, um, uh, you made that point about JD. I also feel like, you know, talking about the younger guys and that's like, one, it's kind of like training them and two, they get used to it and they move up. So like, let, look at equipment, like 10, 15 years ago, when, Even look at like batting helmets or something like the C flap. Nobody would ever want to wear that. They think it's ugly. They think it's dumb, but like it becomes, that wasn't something that was mandated, but guys start wearing it. Some guys, and now it's like commonplace. Everybody knows it. Uh, And it happened in hockey. You look at like a helmet in general, when that none of those guys, when they first mandated the helmet, nobody wanted to wear a helmet, but it got mandated for guys of like a certain age. So the younger kids coming up, they wore helmets and they became used to it. Then it was visors. Nobody wanted to wear a visor, but all the hockey kids they wore visors coming up. If you were under, like, I remember when it was like, if you were born after a certain year, you were mandated to wear a visor. So all those guys wear visors. Now nobody can, nobody, nobody uh, doesn't wear a visor. Everybody wears a visor and nobody cares. It's like not a thing because everybody does it. And it, that's just what they've been used to their entire life. So when they're, if you have these rules in the minors, they're coming up through the minors. That's what they're going to be used to they're going to, they're not going to know any different. They're going to be used to that. So when it gets to the majors and if it's like that and it's just going to expand like that. Um, so I, I, I think like the pitch clock was one guys are going to get used to, like, I only have 20 seconds to pitch, even if there's not a pitch clock at the majors, they're already kind of, you know, forced into that mindset as they're coming through the minors. So I, I think that's a plus.
0: And Jeremy, you mentioned just a moment ago, how the NHL grandfathered in, um, certain protective equipment, helmets, and visors. I honestly think that in the next CBA negotiations, if they can avoid burning everything down, if there's any space and bandwidth in there for actually making changes to the game once they work out what are going to be very contentious labor and financial issues, I think they're going to mandate the C-flap with a, a grandfather clause. I think they're going to say that if you major, major league debut or make it after a certain date, or as you said, born after a certain year, I think they're going to mandate that you wear that C flap and certain, you know, veterans, current veterans will be able to opt out of that. But I think they're going to mandate that if they have any space for that in the next CBA, just because it protects so much more of the, the ball player and you're not going to have guys with broken jaws, broken noses, or at least it'll reduce the severity of those injuries. So I think that's one of the things that they will hopefully agree on that the players will agree on it and the uh, the league will agree on it as a, a player safety measure.
2: Feels like something that's very common now that I don't really think it'll get a lot of, that would be something that get much pushback from many players. I feel like most guys kind of choose to do it on their own. So I don't, so, I mean, I remember when Baez did it, I thought it was kind of weird because he never got hit in the face and he was like, oh, I just have like a toothache or something. But, you know, but now it seems like a lot of guys do it.
0: It's one of those things that uh, became ubiquitous on the scene very quickly. And now, as you said, we uh, we don't even notice it. Uh, so, Ronan, you mentioned our good friend Ray Bluntz, the one, the only, the often imitated but never duplicated. Uh, a shout out to him as his favorite team, the Chicago White Sox, were on the victorious end of a no-hitter just a night ago. Pitcher Carlos Rodon was the name embedded into history this time, pitching a no-hitter came within one batter of a perfect game. And his eventual no-hitter was not without a little bit of controversy as Indians catcher Roberto Perez standing at the plate did not get his foot out of the way of what was a, uh, a backfoot slider. He took the hit by pitch and he broke up the perfect game. Are we breaking any unwritten rules in this situation, Roberto Perez, or are we all good with this? All I'm good.
2: good give me the AG there. No <laughs> issues it, at it. all. Oh yeah. Even Rodon, I thought he, after his post game, he, he was all, I mean, he was on cloud nine. He was so happy that I don't think anything could have like, you know, took him down, but even he was all good with it. I mean, it was a a literal backflip slider, as you said. And, you know, Rodon had such a nasty slider anyways. I remember when he was at NC state, it was so nasty. I want him so bad to fall to the Cubs. I couldn't believe that nobody would draft Carlos Rodan number one uh, that year. And I was just like, come on. It was like every year, uh, he had such a nasty sophomore year. And then his junior year, I felt like everybody was just trying to look at his flaws. I'm like, stop looking at his flaws. He's so good. And he went number three, and the two high school pitchers that have pitched ahead of him have never made – who picked ahead of him have never made the majors in uh, Brady Aiken and Tyler Colec. So I wanted to go forward to the Cubs. Cubs ended the getting Schwarber, solid pick. But, you know, Rodon, he's got that nasty slider. And Roberto Perez, he's just standing there. I, I don't – he's not going to know that that's going to hit him in the foot. Like, the, especially the movement on it, I, I don't have a problem with it. So he got hit in the foot. Like, it was a bad pitch. If, like, he throws a slider in the dirt and it hits him, that's on Rodon. I mean, even Rodon was, like, okay with it. So I don't have a problem with it at all. He got the no-hitter. It was a special night. It's funny. I had a bigger problem with the pitch selection, right? And here I am
1: challenging a guy who goes out and throws a no-hitter at the major league level. But it was funny because Stoney and Benetti were talking about the pitch selection. I think Stone called for the changeup. I was screaming fastball. It was an 0-2 pitch, if I remember correctly. He goes with the slider and hits the back foot. Um, no problem at all. As a batter there, you do your job. It was funny. After the game, the batter said he was unaware it was a perfect game. He knew it was a no-hitter. He just, in the mix of everything else that was going on, he was unaware of the fact it was a perfect game. I really don't think that matters, though. The ball hit him. You take your base. Um, in an 8 nothing game, you don't want to see a bunt there. If it's a one nothing game, I've got no problem with a bunt there. So that's kind of how that plays out in my mind, at least in terms of unwritten rules, uh, Bob Brantley going to come after you for
2: that. With yeah, that Bob and
1: his, and his pack of cigarettes chasing yeah. me down here.
2: <laughs> I have your recall uh, back about 20 years ago, he was manager of the uh, diamondbacks. But uh, one interesting thing you were talking about the pitch selection. If I, if I recall, uh, I believe Zach Collins and Rodon both said that like Rodon never shook off Zach Collins, basically. I, I think Rodon said he never shook him off and, wrote, and Collins said like I don't think he shook me off after like the third inning he couldn't quite remember but like it seemed like they were just in sync the whole game and whatever Collins threw down there and Collins being a guy that a lot of people and I'm still kind of skeptical did not think could catch and would never be a major league catcher you'd either be a DH first baseman so it's kind of cool and special that he was able to catch a no hitter with all the skeptics out there uh, against him but, uh, yeah, I guess they're on the same page. They thought that was the right pitch. I, I You know, as you said, he threw a no-hitter, almost perfect game, so it's hard to fault them on what their thought pitch selection was. So they they made that decision, and and Rodon never shook off Zach Collins.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't have any less of an issue with what Roberto Perez did. I know there were a lot of people calling for him to get out of the way. He, It's not his job to award a, a perfect game to the opposing pitcher, and it's not like he was uh, Jose Tabata against uh, Max Scherzer some years ago where Scherzer, it was in a similar situation and Tabata stuck his elbow out there over the plate, took a hit by pitch and broke that up. Uh, it, it's not close to that. And, you know, I, I, understand why people are mad, but to me, he, he did absolutely nothing wrong. So. If, if it was Perez, more like
2: the Conforto one, I would, I would kind of get it a little bit where he's, that was a strike. And Conforto kind of stuck the arm out to get a hit, but this one, I don't have problems not at all i just think it was a, a great moment
1: though i felt felt good for carlos right this is a guy who you mentioned jeremy was a big time prospect one of the top draft picks he hasn't pitched a whole lot the last couple of years 20 starts in 2018 seven games appeared in 2019 four games appeared in last year obviously two games only this year so this is a guy who was um a non-tendered Decided to go back to the White Sox because he had been part of the rebuilding process. He wanted to be there. It was a good fit for him. There he is, and, and he does what he does against the Cleveland Indians uh, the other night. Just really, really cool stuff. Great baseball moment. And now, what, two weeks into the season? We already have two no hitters this year. I think the Within pitching's pretty damn good in baseball.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, Victor Caratini didn't catch this one because he had two in a row with Mills and uh, Joe Musgrove. But the thing about Carlos to me, is I remember the last game I was watching pitch and he was throwing like 98. And I was like, where, where's Carlos Rodon is throwing, just pumping 98. And, and I was like, that that's nasty for Carlos Rodon, especially he still has that slider. And then today, uh, the other night when he throws a no hitter, he started off like low nineties. And as the game got on, he started pumping. even I was pumping 99 in the ninth. And uh, I believe he said it was like, well, th- it was an eight, nothing game. Nobody was on base, obviously. So he could let loose, like he didn't have to really hold back. But still, Carl Rodon throwing it in the high high nineties. That that's I don't remember that in the past. And, and maybe he just got like a bionic bionic arm coming from from Tommy John search, a vibranium arm, maybe left arm like uh, Bucky, you know that Randall. Uh, so so he's just pumping it hard.
0: I'm I'm curious if vibranium would qualify as a performance enhancing drug under MLB's drug testing rules. drug. Well, you know, it's a, it's a performance-enhancing substance, even if it's not a drug. So the uh, sort of thing MLB may want to clarify if more and more pitchers start turning up with a vibranium in their elbows. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy always bring the vibranium references here. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> that's
0: okay, Ronan. That's all right. We're good. It's important that Jeremy and I find it funny. That's, that's the most important thing. We've gone around baseball a bit this evening. We've covered some topics that we uh, may have fallen between the cracks between the last couple of editions. We hope to be with you again uh, a little more frequently going forward. And before we head out tonight, I see Ronan O'Shea has one more thing he'd like to add.
1: Yeah, I got a question for each of you, non-baseball related. Fair game here as we bring this home? Fair game. Jeremy, did you watch
2: Godzilla Kong last night? I think that was in the offering or no. I have not watched Godzilla Kong yet. I wanted to make sure I got all my MonsterVerse in before I watched Godzilla Kong. So I, what I did watch was Godzilla King of the Monsters, the second uh, Godzilla movie. So I, I, that way I get it all, and then I'll prepare and I'll see Godzilla Kong very soon. I just want okay. to make sure. I, I understood the whole narrative. I, I, want, I want to make sure I'm on the right path. I, I, I can't watch Godzilla 3 if I haven't seen Godzilla 2.
0: Of course. You, you, you might miss some crucial narrative and and world-building elements, Jeremy. So I I understand and I appreciate that.
1: And then, Randall, my question for you is, uh, as a recent Disney subscriber, um, I'll be totally transparent with the audience here. I dismissed both of you endlessly about the Mandalorian when I first heard about it, when I saw images of the little Yoda and things popping up online. Now that we've got the Disney subscription, had a chance to work through it. Very much enjoyed it, actually. Very, very enjoyable. Is it right in saying that there is an Obi Wan uh, TV series or movie series coming? What did I see on that first?
0: Yes, you saw that uh, filming probably in the next couple of months is in fact uh, an Obi Wan Kenobi solo series. It will be in the same format as the Mandalorian. Obi Wan be... Kenobi
2: standalone series, not Han Solo. Did I say Han Solo? No, you said Obi-Wan Solo. I, that could okay. be kind of confusing. No, me. I said
0: Solo, <laughs> Solo Series, Jeremy. Right. I think you listeners... said
2: Obi-Wan Solo Series. Oh, okay. Somebody could be confused by that. They might think it's Obi-Wan and Hot Solo.
0: Anyway, yes, Obi-Wan I Kenobi is set to receive his own television series in that same format. It will be a series of episodes, about an hour in length. I believe the full cast was just made public in the last couple of weeks. And so, Ronan, you did, in fact, see correctly. You will see that on your Disney plus enabled smart device, probably sometime in the next 12 to 18 months.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Well, I was impressed. I thought Mandalorian exceeded my expectations. It's got
2: Bill Burr, so it has to be good. Yeah.
0: Well, as as Obi-Wan once said, what I told you was the truth from a certain point of view. And that's an excellent place to leave us this evening. We are Behind the Yellow Line. I am Randall Sanders, happy as always to be on the air with Jeremy Spector and Ronan O'Shea. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.